Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists who are working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen welcomes Jim Harlow, who will discuss the use of the adult attachment interview. And now your host, Karen Doyle Buckwalter. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I'm very excited to be with you again today, as always. Today, my guest uh, is both a therapist and an adoptive parent and a person who has done a lot of work with the adult attachment interview. So this is really going to be fascinating. Many listeners know of my passion about the adult attachment interview. So this is one of my favorite subjects. My guest today is Jim Harlow, and he's a dad who says that he learned lots about attachment through his own children who came to him from traumatic backgrounds. He then went on to get his counseling degree 10 years ago, and then for four years worked at the Karen Purvis uh, Institute at TCU. During that time, he administered and reviewed approximately 1,000 adult attachment interviews And that went on for over a period of seven years. He would administer the interview and then share insight and information about the interviewee's attachment style, how that may impact their relationships as well as their parenting. He also currently has a private practice in Forney, Texas. And you can find his website at www.jimharlowlpc.com. So I am really looking forward with our chat with him today. And he'll be coming right up. Okay, so um, well, thank you, Jim, for being here with me today. And I know I was sharing with you before the podcast that started that one of my favorite topics is the adult attachment interview Mm -hmm. and I know that you have a lot of experience with the interview you're trained in the coding system and you've administered Mm -hmm. a lot of them and Mm -hmm. so I'm looking forward to talking with you about that okay well it's good to be here thank you for having me on yes yes so you know one of the things that I have found is that sometimes talking about this topic can cause parents to maybe feel defensive you know mm-hmm. what, are, are you saying there's something wrong with me I, I thought I thought we were here talking about my child and mm-hmm. um, I would just like to hear any of any thoughts that you have about that having shared information about AAIs with many parents well many when when people come to me like clinically for counseling or therapy uh, a lot of times, if they if it is a family situation, if they're bringing their kids uh, they, who are having behavioral issues or issues in school, whatever, right? Um, 
I tell them right up front that I view this in, in, the, in the context of uh, family, the family system. Um, and I'm not, you know, everybody has their own responsibility. Quite often I'm dealing with kids who have trauma in their background. And so they come and they bring their set, their history that carries with it, you know, certain challenges. Uh, but the parents' job is when when that comes in to their family system, uh, whether it's foster care, adoption, or just through birth, uh, that presses up against our background as the parent, and that's where attachment comes into play. Because ultimately, for the family to work right, people have to feel connected with each other, right? If yeah. you know, that's the basis for the cooperation that you want to build. Uh, between parent and child, if people are not feeling connected, if they don't feel responded and listened to, then they, then it's not going to work very well. And so the parent has the challenge of accommodating or understanding or adjusting to this child, again, whether it's by birth or adoption, to parent that child as the child needs to be, to give the child the perception that they are known, they are loved, they are cherished, they're delighted in. Um, quite often against the backdrop of a child coming from trauma. That is a really demanding process. If you, if the parent is, uh, is not solid in, in the idea that their needs are solidly met, uh, in other words, if they're not securely attached themselves or kind of headed in that direction, kind of understanding those issues, then it becomes really challenging to focus on what does it, what is it that my child needs? How can I meet their needs? How can I see around this behavior to see the need that's underneath that? Mm -hmm. that makes sense? And, yes. so, and so, and so that's where attachment uh, comes into play because we want to build solid and secure attachments within the family and you can't give something if you don't have it. And, and so quite often, all of us as adults, whether it's in the adoption field or just regular, uh, you know, normal biological parents, uh, that's where it becomes a challenge mm -hmm. because it brings our history up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, um, one of the things that I share often when I talk about the AAI um, is the, the meta-analysis of the first 10,000 showed 58% of people uh, secure in their state of mind related mm -hmm. to attachment. So, and that's in a non-clinical sample, which mm -hmm. sometimes I'm not so sure. <laughs> we, we all are that, you know, we are drawn to this work and, and even to, um, you know, adopting and fostering things for various reasons. But so I always look at that, you know, we're getting pretty close to half mm -hmm. of your folks may mm -hmm. not be secure in, to use what Mary Main wants us to say, their state of mind with mm -hmm. attachment, which is right. a fun yeah. way to say it, but, but we, we will do what she says since it's her instrument um, and, and those she worked on it with. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think it's a pretty common and important thing to be thinking about. Well, yes, and, and, and again, I told you my context is uh, I probably see more people. It's not that I don't have clients outside of this, but I see probably more than half of my practice is foster or adoptive 
families. And one of the things that, um, and as an adoptive parent myself, I can, you know, kind of view this, but the whole system is set up to, to, uh, to screen out certain types of prospective parents. In other words, to, to foster or adopt, you have to make application, you got to turn in all sorts of forms, you got to go to classes, you got to have social workers come to your house. Uh, it takes a, a, a relatively assertive type of person to jump through all those hoops, right? Mm -hmm. And this sets up a situation, and this is not necessarily directly related to attachment, but I think there are probably some uh, corollaries there. It sets up a situation where you bring a child from trauma who has a lot of issues generally with trust, uh, who has a, a, at least an insecure, probably a disorganized attachment style themselves. I mean, this is just real broad strokes, I'm not trying to stereotype, but you know, when they have trauma in their background, they have a lot of those things going on. Into a situation where the, the parents tend to be these, uh, you know, assertive, we're going to Go over these hurdles. If we hit a problem, we are going to push through that problem, uh, and, and until we until we get a solution, and uh, and quite often that creates a, a situation at home that is not um, is not advantageous for the child because where the child might need understanding, acceptance, accommodation, um, quite often parents will um, out you know operate out of their their own. Uh, background their own style uh, to uh, be more focused on this behavioral or surface solution, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, yes. I think I think there's um, a lot of truth to what you're saying about that. Yeah. And this is just you know I'm not an academic. Uh, I, I I'm not like a researcher. Uh, when I was at the institute with. Karen and all those people over there, they would talk about the research and I would, you know, be in the back of the room. But, um, but I do, you know, I have a lot of experience both personally and working with families. And again, it's skewed because I have this perspective that I see the people who come in because they're stuck. Mm -hmm. um, but I think there's validity there. So it's just a challenge. Good, good. So I want to, Next, talk about two things. Um, the first thing is that it's just kind of a statement um, you said about the research. And um, I think that because of how complicated it is to score the adult attachment interview and the two week long institute and the, the uh, period you have to go through for reliability testing mm -hmm. and all of that, I understand the importance of all that. I've been through all that. Uh, however, I feel it's led to the AAI being under this like shroud of this like secret thing that you can only use if you're in academia and if you're a trained coder. And I have really been seeking to uh, share with individuals there are ways to uh, look at this and to use this just for clinical application. We're not we're not coding it, we're not uh, transcribing it, we're very clear that it's not an actual adult attachment interview, and that would require all of those steps, mm -hmm. um, but that uh, if, if we don't 
get away for for clinicians to use it it's a it's a it's a shame for all that great information to not have clinical application and clinical utility mm -hmm. so so that i think that's another reason exactly why i wanted to talk with you is because what you identified is that i'm not a researcher i'm a parent and i'm a clinician and mm -hmm. and this is you know how i'm using this so mm -hmm. i think that that is perfect and, and and i'm glad to have you speak to that could you for those who aren't familiar with the adult attachment interview just briefly describe what it looks at and and how people could understand the rest of the conversation i know well it's just it's a series i mean the the adult attachment interview is just a series of open-ended questions uh that deal mostly with the person's the time frame of the person's life up through about age 12. Uh, so it's mostly like childhood up through elementary school before before you're a teenager that's the focus and it's a and and what is interesting is when you do this uh regardless of the age of the person who is the interviewee in the process uh almost i wish i had i tell people i wish i had a dollar for every time somebody said well if i could just tell you stories from my teenage years i could do this thing right mm -hmm. because when you go back to childhood there's just kind of a veil there for most people that it's just harder to remember uh those things and the way the interview and there's just a lot of questions having to do with uh, the relationships with your parents uh how how things your memories about how things function within the household what would one of the, one of the favorite questions i have is what when you were a child and you were upset what would you do um and it's just amazing to hear what people remember from that period of time and and so there's value uh, especially clinically uh for uh some of these questions as far as just what is it that people remember um obviously in the full scoring of the interview it has to do with the specifics of how they talk about those things and really what it really is what when you're looking for the state of mind related to it and uh, attachment which is why how mary main says it 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 has to do with when you ask somebody you know what happened you know when you were upset as a child it's what they talk about first that becomes primary and and how well that agrees with other things within the interview it, it really is a, a series of questions i'm sure that there's a lot of research that, that went into the order of the questions and how they ask them and all of that kind of stuff but um but the, we are looking for uh, consistency coherence and and a lot of things within within the, the interview but it but it pulls up what kind of what comes what bubbles to the surface first when the people talk about their childhood and there's a lot of value in just understanding that and what that says about what's important to them in relationships mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and also just um to have the piece of the correlation between the adult attachment interview and what uh the subject the individual <laughs> researchers call people subjects we don't usually um ever i guess um that it correlates to what their child would be in the strange situation 75 to 85% of sure. the time so i think too that intergenerational transmission of mm -hmm. attachment both um and with with 
uh, birth children, with adoptive children, is is really really so important to think about and to understand. I once heard Mary Nane say. The adult attachment interview is designed to stress the adult subject the way that the strange situation oh, yeah. stresses the baby mm -hmm. so that we see defensive patterns and and really it's a way to also write look at that makeup of that of the internal working model that Bulby was talking about. You know, mm -hmm. what are they expecting of from relationships? What have they experienced in the world? And that kind of thing. So yeah. So when when you give the interview to parents, you know, Karen Purvis used to talk about I, this is such a Karen Purvis term, gentle mm -hmm. feedback. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. After the interview. And so since you're not, you know, running off having this transcribed and then coding, I'm assuming that you're not. No, no, I, I don't go through that. Yes, you could. You're trained to. But you're not for this purpose so right. when you're starting that feedback session or or mm -hmm. or uh, structuring that like how does that unfold for you in the in the parents okay. that you work with well and and uh, it's not that I don't you let me just clarify it's not that I don't use this clinically with my clients but uh, because of the because the clients come in and they're working on some certain you know certain specified goals uh, we will incorporate some of the questions into it, but it's not not real common for me to uh, say to a client, uh, "Let's go through this interview process, and and we're going to use that information to to help help you man, you know, deal with your own issues or your challenges or those of your child." It's not it's not it's not that I don't ever do that, but it's less common that I do that, and more common that I would provide this as a service to. Uh, like I, after I left TCU, I did it on a contract basis for them for a number of years, and then I've got some child placing agencies that I do it with as part of their uh, home study uh, for them. Um, and it's more common that I would use it in those kind of contexts. Um, when I do it, um, we will do the interview on one day, and 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 then we will at that point. I don't. I, I've done it both ways, but I really prefer to take a take a have a split between the time I do the interview and the time that I give the feedback partially because it lets me process the interview better and really um, have more than just impressions but but I will go back and I, I take extensive notes when we're uh, doing the interview and I go back over my notes sometimes there have been times when I've recorded the interview and I've gone back and listened to the recording again um, and uh, and we'll Give them some pretty specific things about how they how they responded. Um, anyway, and in that period of time, I will send them a oh, it's just a short explanation about the different attachment styles because it doesn't do very much good for them to, you know, for me to say to them, oh, well, what, you know, this is how this is how your interview. I tell them I'm going to give them my impression about how it would be scored if it were taken through a full scoring mm -hmm. because, uh, because it's more than just a you know in, impressions well when you said this that sounds a, a little bit that could be dismissive or when you said this this could be you know ambivalent or uh, entangled um i try to really kind of put them in the right ballpark right field of the ballpark uh, on this so we do that they read this explanation so that when they we have the feedback they really have a sense of what's what we're talking about um and i'll 
generally try to, like I said, give them a sense of where this may land if it were taken through full scoring. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that answers your question about uh, about how I do it, but that's kind of how it flows. Mm -hmm. And 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 I also will include with their report that comes to them, uh, you know, further information about what they might need to be sensitive to or look for in their life that are characteristics of the different styles so that they can start to catch it and shift it because uh, that's how it works. Great. Great. So uh, why don't you talk a little bit about um, the different classifications and then the kind of um, things that you share with people that might come up or certain things mm -hmm. they could be aware of or these could be some vulnerabilities that you bring into this relationship. Could you share a little bit about that? Okay. Well, again, the, the I use basically the terminology free autonomous, uh, dismissive, uh, entangled, preoccupied, or unresolved, and the and the really for the uh, free autonomous, we talk about how that you know just some real basic things that you have the you generally will have the flexibility to uh, to accommodate, uh, shift and nurture other people, but then you can receive help yourself. You're you're pretty aware of your own uh, needs and you're able to express those and get help when you need it and, and be aware of other people and, and you can shift pretty well um, along that continuum. Person with the, the dismissive style will tend to, uh, if, they're, if they get discomforted internally when they get into a situation where they, um, the people around them that they thought they could count on to to meet, you know, to be aware of their needs, to be responsive to them, when it feels like that's not happening. And it's really, it's kind of a gut sense that, that the way I, I've experienced them, other people have, uh, when they have that gut sense, they tend to kind of pull back, withdraw, put their head in the sand. So the challenge for them in general, and this is real broad strokes, is, yeah. to, is to be able to stay emotionally present with the other people and really to and to be aware internally of when they make that disconnect when they start to pull back because that's the point where you got you got to work to stay there because you're you're the way attachment works is that uh the way you survive those situations over the years is that you tend to pull back because that's where it feels safest right so we got to fight against that sense of uh, felt safety or, or perception of safety, we got to fight against that to step in and stay present with the relationship with the other person to experience that connection enough times so that we can calm that inner beast that says pull back. Okay. People who operate in the preoccupied and tangled style, they will tend to jump in generally. Uh, when things get uncomfortable, they have a real tendency to be sensitive to abandonment. Uh, to move to, and that's probably too strong a word. When other people will tend to move away from them, uh, they will be real sensitive to that, and it kind of gets all over them. Again, it's a gut sense more than a, an emotional feeling tends to get all over them, and they will have to do something. They'll have to try to change or control the other person, try to change or control the situation. But that's not. But it's tricky because that's not. Uh, because quite often people who operate in a secure style will have those same kind of tendencies with the person with the entangled preoccupied. 
they have to get some sort of change that is really based on I can't calm down, I can't feel peace inside until until I have the assurance somehow that this person's not going to move away from me. And does that make sense? And yes, as though um, they can't tolerate the anxiety of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then with the unresolved, it's just a it's a it's a it's a stronger uh, you know. I, the way I explain that to my to the people that I do this with is that, uh, and this is real similar, I think, to how they they would say it in the manual. There's just parts that it's like mental compartmentalization. There's parts of your history that you're cut off from, uh, and whether it's a loss or uh, a trauma uh, that that you kind of have it locked away. I've got one client that talks about is in a black hole, you know, and she can tell when she's starting to get close to the edge of that black hole. Uh, and the and the thing is, when that happens, you just get triggered and you get drawn into, drawn back into either the trauma or the loss. And that, it doesn't, it's not a psychotic break or anything like that, but it is a break in how you do relationships. So, uh, so uh, you either get frightened yourself or you, or you just get that disorganized, it disorganizes how you relate to the people around you, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's for, for those of us who work either, like I know you uh, work, I know a little bit about the work at Chaddock there that, that uh, the residential uh, facility, mm -hmm. anybody who's on staff, who's a counselor, who's a social worker, who's saying to the people and especially the, 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 the children that they're working with, I want, you can trust me. I'm going to be stable for you. You know, everybody else may be shaky, but you can trust I'm going to be solid for you. That's why this unresolved for those of us who are your parents or who are working with these kids coming out of trauma. It's just a real important thing to pay attention to because of the damage. We can recover from this, you know, this triggering. We can recover from that. But the kids who depend on us, it's real important for them that we stay stable. And so if there's something that we really need to pay attention to there. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site at www.theknowledgecenteratchadoc.com or subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Podbean for future podcasts as well as previous episodes too. If you enjoyed our broadcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to the Knowledge Center at Chaddock.com. We hope you join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.